0: Can't hand you a business plan, but we can make you business-wise. So sit back and learn to make stacks with it. Octopus of Enterprise.
1: Hello, Diana here, and today you find me in probably one of the comfiest chairs in the deck. One of those chairs that looks like I'm about to tell you a story. Once upon a time. Only joking. I'm not going to tell you a story. But today's episode is about storytelling. To be more specific, how storytelling can help you and your business. So like always, I got together with a couple of experts on the matter. And this is what they had to say. So today we're discussing the art of storytelling, looking at how it can be incorporated in enterprises big and small. Along the way, exploring the power behind the medium and how entrepreneurs or employees working in the business world can use storytelling as a way to advance their message, product or career. And who better to discuss this with than Lisa Newport, Lisa Newport style and president of the East Midlands region of the Professional Speaking Association. James Barry, RD Content, and Rob Pittam, Robin Hood Media. Welcome all. Welcome to the Octopus of Enterprise. How are you all doing today? Very good, Good thank you.
2: Very well, thank
0: you.
1: And maybe anticipating the possibility of a bark in the background because there's a few <laughs> dogs on the call today, aren't there?
0: Yep, I've got one <laughs> old on Border Collie waiting and he's, he'll go off at some point in this chat, I'm sure.
3: Mine's snoring at the moment, so if you're picking any noise from my microphone, that's what that is.
1: Mm, interesting. We'll look out for those snores. And mine is upstairs at the moment, so I'm hoping not. And James, I think you're in the office. Have you got an office dog?
2: <laughs> yeah, no dog's my end, but I've... Uh cloistered myself away in the VO booth so hopefully no uh, young junior creatives will come and bother me in the meantime.
1: Ah right well we'll look out for those as well if they're peeking around your booth. (laughs) So um, this episode is all about storytelling so I thought we'd start by asking each of you a little bit briefly about your story so far. Can I come to you first Lisa?
3: You can indeed. So um, story so far I've been in business for nearly eight years now Um, I did always want to be a makeup artist I grew up wanting to be a makeup artist from the age of 14 Um, I started studying for that qualification realized that my lifelong dodgy hip wasn't compatible with standing up and doing a job that was on your feet a lot so moved into this more sedentary textiles and fashion design routes worked as a designer for quite some time Moved then into lecturing, teaching others how to design until I had my son. And at that point, leaving my little baby boy every day became too much to bear. Went back into makeup, um, worked for the Virgin V Cosmetics Company, which is one of Richard Branson's many enterprises. Met him several times, did really well. That all got a bit boring after about seven or eight years. Things changed um, and I ended up in the prison and um, I worked there, got promoted. Started off teaching art and design, which was fine. Got promoted into a managerial role and then died inside. And, oh, dear. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was a really dark time of my life. I ended up being quite depressed and just no creativity whatsoever. And obviously, having a really creative background, that really didn't work for me. Um, so eventually, I, I, did, I worked there for about seven years ended up setting up my own business which is where I'm at now bringing my skills in color clothes makeup all of that together using my teaching experience um my sort of coaching skills to work with midlife women who are wanting to look good and feel fabulous and sort of don't always know how to get that right so I help them do that.
1: And that's the Lisa Newport style, that's your your business?
3: Yeah, that's my business.
1: Thank you, Lisa. What a fabulous story. Uh, Rob?
0: Yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist, but I actually come from a mining family. My dad was a miner, and I was brought up in a pit village in Nottinghamshire went to university and kind of assumed that when I got to university the Guardian would knock on the door and say right when can you start but it it was nothing like that so I went back home um, back at a place called Ollerton and say in North Knotts and luckily for me um, pretty tragically for the rest of the community the miners' strike broke out so I kind of knew a lot of people involved and it was writing stories about it for our local volunteer newspaper and I got a job on the the workshop Guardian it was actually as a result of that so I worked in local newspapers then I moved into uh, broadcasting, started working for BBC on, on Radio Nottingham, moved on to East Midlands Today as a reporter. And then, funnily enough, because of my background, the pit closure programme came in. I had also a lot of the factories were closing down, and I was kind of in a good position to, again, talk to people. So I became a, an industry correspondent. And then I got a job working in London um, for the BBC as a, like a business correspondent. And I was kind of, um, I was mainly on a programme called Working Lunch on BBC Two. So I was on that. My oh job- yes,
1: remember it well. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: exactly. I was like the John Noakes of the business world. You know, you're token Northerner. And I had to, I had to go around. Is
1: that why you've decided to have a border collie? Because wasn't it John Noakes yeah. who had a border collie <laughs> at Blue Peter? Those of you yeah. who are too young to remember Blue Peter back in the day when they used to have yeah. a dog, you don't know what we're talking about, but.
0: I should have called him chef. But Yes, and I was. So, I was, I, the, th- the thing about that is, I was traveling all over the country, interviewing people that I set up businesses. I saw everything from you know Boeing in Seattle right down to people setting up companies in, in a kitchen. And I actually just really had no background in entrepreneurship or businesses because my, my dad, as I say, was a minor. But I just got to really admire people that were building businesses and creating jobs and employing people. And I thought, what a brilliant, cool thing to do. So, the downside of my job, I was never at home. And when I got offered redundancy by the BBC, I just took it and uh, set up my own business. It's a television production business. We mainly make um, a politics, regional politics program for BBC, but we do corporate videos and things like that. We've done programs for Notts TV and we've done a couple of documentaries as well. So, yeah, that was my journey. And I mean, storytelling, actually, I'm, I'm sure we'll tease out later on, has been quite a key part of it.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. Um, Border Collie so far is calm, so we're all right. Over to you, James.
2: Sure. So uh, I'm head of creative at RD Content. We're a um, production agency specialising in commercial and uh, corporate filmmaking. And we're based in central London. And we've also got an office out in New York as well. Uh, My story is um, a bit of a jack of all trades, I suppose. I, I don't know who this original jack was. But I feel like it's always been quite unfair on him that being a jack of all trades and a master of none gets looked upon as a (laughs) bad thing. Uh, It's certainly not easy when it comes to making life choices, though. Um, Growing up, I mean, I like literature, music, sports, food, travel. My parents were both actors uh, and I'm an only child. So my childhood was really, uh, I suppose, a world of make believe. Uh, and so my impression of what I wanted to be when I grew up was usually influenced by uh, what costumes they bought me. Um, you know, I could oh, be a wow. fireman one day, a cowboy another day, an archaeologist one day. I, I did dream of becoming Robin Hood, funnily enough. Well, that, well, well, yeah. <laughs> that didn't uh, that didn't transpire, unfortunately. Um, I, I chose to study literature at university, namely because of the huge, huge influence that literature teachers had on me through school and college. Um, so I did my, uh, my BA at University of Leicester and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do at the other end of it. So I went to Cambridge to do a master's in Renaissance literature, uh, as if that would give me any better idea of the working <laughs> world. Uh, then I found myself in much the same position as I was when I was eight or nine. Uh, no idea what to do with myself. I liked too many things. Um, so then I started telling myself, well, what don't I like? What would I change about the world? And the thing that really ground my gears most of all was bad adverts. Um, and I like creating things, too. Uh, you know, I'd I'd play an instrument. I always kind of dabbled in uh, student TV and things like that as well. So I thought, I know, why don't, why don't I try and, make it in the world of advertising. So I applied to all of of the big firms and um, I was given my first kind of big break straight out of university uh, as a runner on set or doing whatever I could to be helpful, screwing legs on chairs and things like that, Uh, and eventually turning my hand to a little bit of writing. Um, And so I'd end up writing the scripts, the kind of corporate and commercial scripts for some of our clients. And um, because there was no one else there uh, to do the job, uh, I got a big opportunity to direct one of those films. And I mean, ever since then, I'd kind of never looked back sort of writing and and, and directing corporate and commercial films for the company. Uh, And as we grew and grew, um, I've been there five and a half years now, as we grew and grew, I I started to kind of um, get the opportunity to not just pitch and win work and and make films, but also hire and grow my own team as well. And so now I've got a team of 12 people working for me. And um, yeah, things are going from strength to strength
1: fabulous great stories and i have to reference a really really ancient children's tv program when you were talking about your outfits um lisa rob i don't know if you remember mr ben but mr ben he used to go into the shop oh james you're nodding your head so maybe it's not as ancient as i think or (laughs) you or you've seen it before but
2: i mean mean, it was considered retro when i was a kid but i did watch it
1: (laughs) (laughs) It cutting edge when i was young yeah um but mr ben he used to sort of go into a shop and then um he'd go through to the changing room and he'd try on an outfit and then he'd go out the door and he'd be in another world. And I guess that's where that that powerful story of a new visual the new costume comes in which um you reminded me when you were talking about uh, your parents giving you different costumes and uh, you could you know be various different characters um so great stories to begin with i guess what's what's the power of story within business you know for those listening who are just maybe starting out in their business or maybe haven't considered story in their business what's the place for it
3: for me, I use the power of my story to help with clients in terms of them resonating with me um, and think, oh, she, she, you know, she sounds a bit like me or I know what she's talking about there. So you get that kind of almost rapport before you've even spoken to them when you when you use stories to to share examples of things in my experience. But also as well, there's that whole um you know, going back to the beginning of time, people sitting around campfires. People remember stories, don't they? People might not remember the whole that you're saying, but they'll remember a little bit about the story, and that'll hook into their imagination. And it just helps you. For me, anyway, it helps me share things that people think, "Oh, that's good." It's not just me, then.
2: Just picking up on 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 that point, I think. I mean, ultimately, businesses. They are a human thing right and and we do we do engage with businesses on an emotive level however much we we sometimes might try not to but a business is you know i believe more than just the sum of its parts it's more than it's uh, you know its offices its people its portfolio um you know it's more than the transactions that it makes and, and what it produces yeah. how often do you do you hear the cliche in tv and film where there's always that kind of cold-hearted business owner, that miser um, who kind of casts your protagonist or casts someone aside, um, putting profit before people, and mm-hmm. and they always and they always use those that 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 same phrase, it's nothing personal, it's just business. I think that you know no matter how big an organization's size, no matter what market they're in, the best businesses are personal, and they're personal to their owners, and they're personal in their relationships and they're personal to their to their audience and their customers. They, they do stand for something, the best businesses. Uh, and and it's, it's my job and the job of my team to kind of dig that out and, and tell that story.
1: Yeah. The old adage that we've come up with in a few previous episodes on various topics is, you know, people buy from people. Um, so, we are talking about relationships, whatever the size of business. Rob, I can see you're really nodding and agreeing when James was uh,
0: talking James, there. James, at least, I mean, they both hit the nail on the head. I think it gives you a personality. And, you know, we talk about numbers all day long in business. But at the end of the day, as I think Lisa said, people remember you and they want to talk to you and they've got a reason. And I was thinking that. Funny enough, when I started up, I came up with Robin Hood Media and I was thinking it's a little bit naff. And it it kind of limits us to Nottingham and all that kind of thing. But then we got a contract um, with the European Parliament in Brussels. For obvious reasons, we no longer have that contract. But we did have a contract with them for a short while. And the weird thing is when I started talking to them, they went, oh, yeah, Robin Hood Media, because they'd all heard of Robin Hood in Europe. And, you know, they instantly thought of it and were really kind of chuckling and and they remembered us. And the other strange thing about it is people always go, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. I know they haven't, but they always have heard of us because it just sounds a little bit, you know, it's kind of quite a big thing. That's words. But I was also thinking that just gen- even like in my more corporate career, people like a good story. They like a reason for why you're doing things. I mean, when we pitch for documentaries and things, you know, they want you to say, the reason I want to do this is because you know I'm emotionally involved in it or something like that and people really want you to have a reason for doing things and they kind of they kind of resonates with them you know very quickly and I was thinking again um, when at an early stage of my career I was going for a job in the BBC and it was a business correspondent um, in the East Midlands. And you know, the, the debate was all about why do you want the job? And I was saying, well, I'm from the East Midlands. I'm from a mining community. I know about the industry and everything. But actually, it was a four-day week in a company car. You know, that's why I wanted the job. But I- <laughs>
1: <laughs> the secret's out now, Rob. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible.
0: Ask Karen now. won't that, tell that, anyone. I'm sure they knew that anyway. But I, I spun them, you know, a kind of tale that brought them in. You know, and they and it was also had the benefit of being true, which I should say. And I think whatever you have as your image, your personality, it has to have truth and credibility about it. Definitely,
3: something I heard that has always stuck in my mind, and it was this phrase: "Facts tell, but stories sell." Mm. And that that was something that I've always sort of used in terms of my business.
2: I just wanted to to recommend um, a bit of reading or viewing. Um, I don't know if if anyone. Um, here has heard of uh, Simon Sinek's uh, book uh, and consequent TED talk, um, mm-hmm. Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was really kind of, um, it it attests it such a simple idea, but it was a really formative one for me. And it delves into how any organisation, brand or political cause should rethink how they, they should communicate in order to uh, inspire people. Um, and it basically says that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Um, and the goal is not just to do business with everyone who needs what you make or what you produce uh, but to do business with people who uh, believe what you believe um, and and that's that's a great way to tell better stories and to inspire rich relationships and loyalty.
1: That kind of um, emphasizes what Lisa was saying there with the the facts tell because you know the what and how in, in Cynic's golden circle is all about the the telling whereas the why is the, the essence of how you connect with others, which, yeah, really good reference. Thanks for mentioning that, James. Um, I suppose I want to kind of ask us about, you know, what makes a good story? What's the best story that that you've worked on, Rob? Or how do you craft it if you're listening? Um, and you're kind of thinking, I need to put more of this in my business or I need to talk about what I'm doing in, in a much more story-based way.
0: I might not be the right person to talk about that. When I remember when I was at a party in my early days, when I was on local newspapers, and people said, "What kind of news do you do?" And I just said, "Bad news," because really, <laughs> that's, that's basically what it was. If I was turning up, it was bad news for somebody. Um, it's not quite so bad of business because we kind of explore a bigger sort of option. But obviously, the, you know, the big story I've been dealing with is things like, you know, uh, Brexit, fuel shortages. These are all really big stories. COVID. And, you know, funny enough, I think I've come to the end of my career in the last few years, have been the biggest stories I've ever seen, you know, with the, with the implications that touch everybody. And I guess that tells you a bit about a story. It should touch you somehow. And, you know, it should always be, why should I care? You know, as, as a, as a tenant for journalists, whenever I'm looking at the story. It's why should the person listening to this or watching it care? And I guess it's the same in business as well
1: and i guess sometimes the people who um i advise are often saying oh you know i've sent a press release to journalists and i've got nowhere and <laughs> yeah. and and actually that could be a whole other episode isn't other it? um good. how how to sort of make a decent press release and yeah. and how to get journalists interested in what your story is but like you know um businesswoman diana starts a business is not a story um but something more interesting about uh a hook about what it is about my business might be um dog bites
0: man not interesting man bites dog interesting (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) whole other episode lisa you were trying to come in there
3: there's a whole thing isn't there this sort of the hero's tale that's an actual thing you can research and if you look at that there's peaks and troughs and you know and every pixar film has that has that plot in it where it's like there's always a guru some kind of you know the, the hero of the tale and this downtrodden or something happens and then they meet somebody and then you know they they nearly get what they're going to get and then something disastrous happens and then they all you know get through in the end and it's a happy ending and it's like yay so actually thinking even in the the, the most simple terms like that with those peaks and troughs helps you sort of gain that sort of understanding from you, from your audience, really. And, you know, I might say, for example, you know, oh, I remember, you know, standing in front of my wardrobe, practically crying because I had nothing to wear, but my wardrobe was full. And you get people nodding, going, oh, yeah, I get that. And, you know, sort of how you move from that place of despair or whatever it is through to the other side, then that's the bit that people are interested in. They like the sob story, like, you know Rob's saying it's bad news but people are interested and then that human side of it comes through that's always a good thing for, as far as I'm concerned because like you say people by people.
1: And when you're um, in your role as, as chair of the professional speaking association in this region mm-hmm. is is that something that you know where where people are part of the professional speaking association they they have these models and they they work with them to enhance how they are speaking to people yeah
3: absolutely the best speakers are the ones who can carry you on a journey who you listen to and you're listening to every word and when they pepper stories through even if it can be the most the driest of subjects but if they're able to you know pepper the story element within the, the, the 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 keynote that really does make for much better listening for the audience um, you know, and you so you're not drifting off and thinking, oh, did I remember to get carrots? You know, or you know, so you're not. It just keeps you keeps you engaged. So that's the power of of that hero's tale, peaks and troughs thing. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, and going back to James, because you started at the top of your story saying, you know, you wanted to make something that wasn't a bad advert. When we're talking about marketing messages for larger organisations. Um, How does that storytelling thread show up there in the filmmaking that you're doing for them?
2: Well, what a question. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously so dependent on the purpose of the piece of marketing that we're making. Um, uh, When it comes more broadly to storytelling, there should usually be a hero. There should usually be someone um, that people can identify with. And when you're talking not necessarily about, a, you know, a fictitious narrative around a central protagonist and you're, you're trying to communicate something about your company or, or your product or service, then usually that hero could be what we were discussing earlier. It can be a cause. It can be a belief. It can be, a, you know, a why. Here's why we exist. And that being where everything begins from a, a client. We're often given this kind of list of sort of mandatories. You know, you must discuss that our product does X, Y and Z. You need to talk about this key feature. What I tend to always do as a practice is, um, if we need to kind of include these pieces of information, is relegate them um, into definitely important pieces of information, but more as proof of a higher concept, proof of a bigger idea. What do all of these things add up to mean? And the sum of its parts being some kind of, you know, raison d'etre, being some kind of big campaignable. Uh, Idea, if that makes sense, Um, and sometimes it's it's quite difficult to say to to an organisation, okay, but you know, but what do you stand for? Um, Often they'll reel off a list of corporate governance, or you know, we stand for uh, equal opportunities for all. We want to be the best company. Uh, We want to make the best products. Uh, We want to change the world. Um, And you have to really push them to say, okay, but 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 what do you really stand for? What makes you who you are? And sometimes it can be easier to think about what you stand against. I always love a good villain. I'm obsessed with them, and this is uh, this is a practice that can be employed uh, in business. So imagine your your product or your service solves a problem. Well, that problem is the villain. Whether that's a huge global issue that you want to change, or even a small inconvenience uh, caused by a household appliance. Um, now, that's not to say that you have to frame your story in this way, but I, I think it can be a very useful exercise uh, when defining the kind of a higher purpose of your product or brand.
1: Okay, so that's uh, heroes and villains, which is sort of like pains and gains. Which, if you think about strategizers' business model canvas, um, which we use in some of our programs as well, that's a, a really good way of looking at it. And I think you've also brought out the fact that often people are tempted to talk about the thing, the product, the service, which is all again about the stuff it is, the the features, rather than the benefits. For the potential customer, so um, we're kind of coming to the time where we need to close. I really want some more top tips um, for weaving that story in, Rob.
0: I just want to echo what James was saying just now, and that the thing is that um, I think what journalists might bring to the story on the table here is we we just think about the audience. That's the most important thing. When people do a lot of communicating, they're often thinking if they're a company director, they think of their shareholders or they're thinking about the people above them or the people they work with or they're thinking about their rivals. And actually, you just should think about who's listening to the story. What do they want to hear? Because that's when you start talking jargon. That's when you start talking about what kind of ISO certificates you've got and everything. Nobody cares. You know, the yes. customer doesn't care. So think about your audience and, and block everybody else out. I've done, I've done quite a bit of media training. and That's really the hardest part to make, because then you start sounding human if you're talking to your audience. And that's, again, as journalists, that's the thing we know. Nothing else matters. You know, people will often say, oh, why did you ask that question? I'll only ask a question that I think might occur to the person listening or watching because I'm thinking about my audience the whole time. And I think whenever you're telling a story, that's, you know, who am I trying to talk to? What do they want to hear?
1: Brilliant. Who am I trying to talk to? What do they want to hear? Lisa?
3: When we were talking about villains, the latest Cruella, the new Cruella film, I don't know if you've managed to see that. She's a brilliant
1: villain and hero all in the same film. Is that is Cruella Disney Pixar as well, Lisa?
3: It's a Disney, it's definitely on the yeah. Disney channel, yeah. But it's absolutely brilliant to to see that playing out on that story.
1: OK, so w- basically, if you want to know about storytelling, go and watch some Disney films because you will get that thread of how to tell a story, I guess, is, is a good point to take from that. Um, James?
2: Uh, people have a very short attention span and they can usually only remember one thing. Uh, and so if you were to come up with one thing that your business organisation could stand for, uh, or would stand for, what would it be? And use that as the catalyst for all of your creative concepts.
1: Great tip. That's a really good one to end on. Thank you so much. There's so many threads of that that I'd like to go more into the story of, but sadly, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Lisa, James, and Rob, and thank you for listening. I'm Diana Passick-Atkinson, and you've been listening to The Octopus of Enterprise. Goodbye.